Last week we began a new series, Holy Habits, Essential Practices for Christ Followers. And Pastor Tob opened the series for us, uh, took us into the Gospel of Mark, where we talked about what does it mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand? What does it mean to be people who are part of God's kingdom and active in God's kingdom? What does it mean to follow Jesus so that in a way that enables Jesus to work his transformation in and through us so that we become people who bear fruit? Uh, The phrase we used last week, I will make you become fishers of people. God working in us to help us become people who um, reach out to others and draw them, point them to the Lord Jesus, okay? Today, the holy practice, holy habit that we're gonna be talking about is the uh, habit of uh, engaging in God's word, engaging in the word of God, okay? Now, I wanna start by talking, uh, telling you a little bit about my story. I, I grew up in a church-going family but it didn't really stick with me, if you will. Um, I went, but I didn't go because I loved it. I went because I was brought. And uh, I do remember, though, having questions and feeling like there's nowhere to get those questions answered. So I, I basically dropped out of church when I was in my early teens. And so I heard the Bible read during that time, but I'd never read the Bible for myself. Anyway, I entered college when I was 17, went to Tufts University, and I entered as an atheist. Um, didn't come to the conclusion that there was no God, I didn't believe in God, I was an atheist. But early on in my first year of college, I met Christians on campus, people who were part of the university Christian fellowship group there. And uh, I became friends with some of them, and I liked them, and uh, They kept inviting me to join this Bible study group. And I said no, I don't know how many times, like a bunch of times. I just kept saying no, because I just couldn't figure out why anybody would want to do that. Why would you want to sit around and talk about the Bible? But they kept asking, and eventually I said yes. I'm not exactly sure why, but I said yes. I think they just kind of wore me down some. And the way I justified in my head was, well, it's probably good for me to know something about the Bible. A lot of Western literature is based on the Bible, so I, I should know something to be, kind of be an educated person. So I joined this Bible study group. When I joined it, when I started going, I had no expectations about what this group would be. I was going to do it, but I wasn't expecting much out of it. I certainly had no expectations and no desire that the Bible would actually impact me that it would transform me or humble me in any way. Didn't want that at all. But slowly, over time, the Bible captured me. It, the more I read it, the more it caught me. It just caught me. It, the best way I've come up with to describe what happened is that the Bible started becoming self-authenticating to me. The more I read it, and thought about it, the more it rang true to me, the more it read me, the more it challenged me. It brought me to the point where I began believing that what it said was actually true. 
And it started moving from being just a book to me, to being the very word of God to me. I read it cover to cover, and I just couldn't put it down. I hungered for it. I read it at least twice before I actually became a follower of Jesus, cover to cover. Now, Matthew, in chapter four of his gospel, records a time when Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting and praying for 40 days, and the devil comes to him to tempt him, and he says, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds to him and says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That describes, I think, what happened to me, what the word of God became to me. It became what my soul lived on. It became what my soul hungered for. The word of God is a source of life for those who believe. It satisfies the deepest hunger of our souls. Now, why is that? Why is the word of God so important? What does the word of God do in us? I want to take us into two passages in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 and John chapter 15. So turn with me first to John chapter 1. It's on page 750 of our Pew Bibles. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4, 9 through 12, and then verse 18, okay? And as I'm, I want to highlight five concepts, five ideas from this passage. There's a lot more to it than what I'm going to say, but these five ideas. So let me read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. Then jumping to verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, that one has made him known. So five key concepts, five ideas from this passage. First, first idea, Jesus is the incarnate God. He's God made flesh, the living word of God. That's who he is. Second, Jesus, the living word, 
came into this world to bring life and light to all humankind. The living word came to bring life and light to us all. Third, this living word, Jesus' this living word, came to make the God who we cannot see, came to make him known. We know the Father through Jesus' Son, the living word. Fourth, even though Jesus came to bring life and light to all humankind, to make the Father known, even though that was true, that is true, there are many who just did not recognize who Jesus is. They didn't recognize how good he is. They didn't recognize that he was God's greatest gift to them. They rejected him. They just rejected him. And fifth, there were some, however, who did recognize who Jesus is. They recognized what a gift he is. They received him, they welcomed him. And so were given the right to become the children of God. They were brought into relationship with the Father. Jesus made the Father known to them. They were given the right to become the children of God. We have been given the right to become the children of the eternal Father the children of God, the one who created the universe, created us. He is our father. We are his children. Jesus did that for us, helped us to to come to that place. He brought us to that place, made it possible for us. Jesus, the living word, did that. Now, so here's the summary. Jesus, the living word, is the one who makes God known. He's the one who reconciles us to God. He's the one who brings the life of God to us. Okay? Hold on to that as we move to John chapter 15, which is on page 764 of your pew Bible. Okay? I'm reading verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, the word clean and the word prune are the same Greek word. The way that we're cleansed is by being pruned. He prunes the sin off prunes a sin in our lives, prunes it away. <clears throat> now, listen to this next word, remain. Remain appears eight times in this passage. Listen to this, what he says about this, but it's a big word in this passage. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So look at the interplay between remain and fruit. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into fire, and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the word remain used eight times connected to the word fruit. Okay? Now what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Here's a bunch of different synonyms. To remain in Jesus means to live in Jesus, to reside in Jesus, to make your home with Jesus. It means to stay with him. It means to stick to Jesus, to stay connected to him, to be filled by him, to be united to him, to be in union with him. Remaining in Jesus is evidence that we love Jesus and we want to be with him. We want to know him. We want to please and honor him. We remain in Jesus. Now, when we remain in Jesus, John tells us, then Christ's life enables us to bear much fruit. His life is the one bearing the fruit. So look at the, consider the metaphor that he's using here between the the vine and the branch. A branch just cannot bear fruit unless it remains connected to the vine. You cut off a branch from the vine, no fruit, the branch itself dies, okay? It's from the vine that the life and sustenance of the branch flows. In terms of being a disciple of Jesus, what Jesus is saying is you will not produce fruit in and of yourself if you don't remain in relationship with him. The eternal life which a disciple must possess in order to bear fruit originates with Jesus. Jesus is the source of life for all of us. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who bears fruit through us, through his life in us. He's the source of all life and productivity for any follower, any disciple of Jesus. Now, what do we mean by fruit? There's a bunch of ways to talk about that, but fruit is the the character that's formed in us that reflects Jesus. Fruit is a life that points to Jesus. It's whatever is produced in us because of our love for Jesus and for others. The deeper our remaining with Jesus, the more fruit we produce. That's the big idea of this passage. So the question is, how do we remain in Jesus? What does that look like? Well, we get a bunch of clues. Verses 7 to 8 of John 15, we're told, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. What Jesus is saying is that if his words remain in us, that's Jesus remaining in us, because it's his word. So he equates remaining in him with remaining in his word. Throughout scripture, that's, a, that's clear. Uh, the song that uh, uh, Tom and uh, sang and uh, David and Jamie played uh, from uh, using uh, from uh, phrases from Psalm 105. Your word is a light unto my path, a light, lamp unto my feet. That idea is throughout the whole scriptures. The word of God in scripture 
is alive, it's generative. It creates things, it births things. God says, let there be light, and there is light. Oops. There's something powerful about Jesus' word, about the word of God. Now, put John 1 and John 15 together. In John 1, we're told Jesus is a living word of God, the incarnate word of God, and that he incarnates himself in us through his word. The primary way we recognize, receive, remain in Jesus is by filling ourselves with Jesus' word. Filling ourselves with it, living it out, obeying it. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father who love them will come to them and make our home with him. Jesus says in John 14. So the written word of God leads us to Jesus, the incarnate word of God. Remaining in Jesus' word enables us to remain in Jesus. And when we remain in Jesus, we bear much fruit. So how do we do that? How do we remain in Jesus' word? Well, it starts with right motivation. We don't read the Bible out of religious duty or a sense of obligation. We don't come to it just out of duty. We come to it out of love. It's like we don't uh, do nice things for our wives because it's our duty. We do nice things for our wives because we, for our spouses because we love them. Love is a motivator that fuels all that we do. We don't read the Bible simply to gain information. Information, if we're reading the Bible just to know something more, all we're doing is feeding ourselves, feeding our pride. We don't read the Bible out of, pride, out of a desire for intellectual stimulation or intellectual pride. Pride never leads us to Jesus. It just never does. We don't read it to feel better about ourselves. We don't you know, open up the Bible each day and say, okay, where, can I find, where, can I, where am I gonna find my little Jesus nugget? We read the Bible because we love Jesus, we wanna know him. We come to the scriptures because we love the God of the scriptures. We come to the scripture because we wanna know the God of the scriptures. We come to the scriptures, the word of God, because we want the life of God to flow in and through us and bear life in us. We read the Bible to encounter and engage with Jesus to know, love, and be filled by him. So how do we read the Bible? Well, we start and continue by reading the Bible prayerfully. We ask the Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ and to lead us into his truth. We read the Bible intentionally and purposefully, we have a plan and a place and a pen. I'm gonna open that up a little bit. But we come intentionally and purposefully. A plan helps you to keep going. A place limits distraction 
And a pen helps you to stay focused and be active in your thinking and reading. Now, if you don't have a plan for reading the Bible, if you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, I wonder what I'll do, what will I read today? What you're going to end up reading is a cereal box. <laughs> you just are, you know. There are so many things that will distract you from actually reading the scriptures that if you don't know ahead of time, if you don't have a plan to do it, it's just not going to happen for most of us. It's not going to happen for most of us consistently at least. It doesn't happen consistently with me unless I know where I'm going. I have a plan. We also need to come into the scriptures humbly. We read scripture not so that we master scripture, but that scripture masters us, so that scripture speaks into our heart and mind and soul and shapes us. Isaiah 66, 2. It's 66, 2, not 64. Isaiah 66, 2 says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Who tremble at my word. When we open the scripture, when we read the scriptures, we are engaging with God, with the living God, the master, the creator of the universe. You don't come before the face of God blithely. When we recognize that the word of God takes us into the very presence of God, it ought to make us tremble. Something holy and sacred and deep and big is happening here. Something that has the power to shape reality and change the course of history. We ought to come before God's word humbly and reverently because it leads us before the holy God. We need to read the scripture slowly and carefully. Paul writes in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Eugene Peterson, his translation of the Bible says, let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Run of the house, plenty of room in your lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. For the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, you have to read it slowly and carefully. You have to come before it and read it and reread it. It helps often to read it in several different translations to see different nuances of the word, how, how people have interpreted the, the original Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew texts. You have to read it with concentration. This is where you need to know a place and have a pen. So the first thing is you have to eliminate distractions as much as possible. All of us are easily distracted, so you gotta put away your phone. Uh, That's why I like to read the Bible as a book 
rather than on screen when I'm actually trying to really read it because my, my laptop has this insidious way of pinging me when I don't want it to ping me. So here's what we gotta really get in our heads. There is no such thing as productive multitasking. You cannot focus on two, three, four, five things at the same time and be fully focused on each one at the same time. It's just plain impossible. It's like when you know, you're in a place you know, and you're using Wi-Fi and there's a bunch of people using Wi-Fi at the same time and the Wi-Fi network starts to slow down because the data is being, because the bandwidth uh, is slowed down by so many people trying to use it. What happens when you try to multitask is that parts of your brain go to each of those things and no part of your brain is focused on, on everything at once. You lose mental and spiritual energy, I would say, when you try to multitask as you're reading the Bible. And the Bible is just way too important. It's way too important to read in a distracted, diminished way. No multitasking. Read it, focus on it, as it is. You have to read it actively. This is where you need your pen. You want to read it and have your pen out to underline, to circle, to write notes on the side, to, uh, to jot down your questions. Writing things down helps us to see them and it helps us to remember them. It helps us to focus. So read actively, use your pen. Ask yourself questions. What is this passage saying? What's going on here? What, what big ideas are in this passage? Is it something repeated again and again? What does it say about God? What does it say about humankind? What is it saying about, what might it be saying about me? What might God be saying he wants me to do with this? You read actively. And you read to respond in obedience. You're not reading just to read. You're reading to obey. You're reading to put into practice. That's the kind of reading that allows the life of God, the word of God, to really dwell in you. You read it daily. Reading the word of God is the primary way we encounter Jesus, the living word. It's the primary way that we're with Jesus. One of my favorite passages in scripture is from Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John are going into the temple in Jerusalem, and you see this man who was lame from birth, and he asked him for, for money, for alms, he's, he's, be, he's begging, and, and Peter and James say, money, we don't have any money, we don't have any silver and gold, we don't have any money, but here's what we have. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, and G, Peter stick, grabs his arm and pulls him up, and the guy's feet are whole, and he can walk, and he jumps up, and he's leaping, he's shouting, praising God, a group of people gather, Peter takes this opportunity to kind of interpret what happened, to tell about who Jesus is, and he starts preaching. The religious authorities see what's going on, they see the crowd gathering, and they get nervous, they want to shut it down because they don't want any challenge to their authority. It's like what's happening in a lot of parts of the world right now where there are protests going on, authorities being challenged, they want to shut it down by intimidation. That's what the religious authorities in Jerusalem are trying to do with Peter and John, so they arrest them. And they begin to put the screws to, them to intimidate them, try to intimidate them. But what happens is these two guys, 
They just don't get intimidated. It doesn't phase them. And so Acts chapter 4 has this wonderful sentence, Acts chapter 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, meaning that they weren't educated and weren't rabbinically trained, it says they were astonished. These religious authorities were astonished, and they took note. What did they take note of? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. What they took note of was that these guys would be, were a lot like Jesus. That's what happens when we give ourselves to the scriptures daily. We allow the life of Jesus to shape us, to form us, to transform us, to become more and more like Jesus. If we don't do that, then life will press in on us. It will intimidate us, it will distract us, it will tempt us. If we don't fill ourselves with scripture, something else will fill us. Instead of loving Jesus, we're gonna love ourselves. Instead of loving God's word, we're gonna love other things. We need to be people who allow the scriptures to fill us. Because in and through that, we experience the life of Jesus upholding us, sustaining us, leading us, guiding us, protecting us, giving us courage. So we need to read the Bible Christologically. We need to read the Bible looking for Jesus because the whole Bible, it's all about him. It's about Jesus. John says that in chapter five of his gospel. You have never heard his voice, the Father's voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently. This is Jesus talking to religious leaders. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures to testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Then verse 46 of John 5. Your accuser is Moses. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So this is an important thing here. The scriptures in and of themselves aren't the end goal. The end goal is using the scriptures as a means to know Jesus. If you're reading the scriptures, but you're not looking for Jesus, the scriptures will not give you life. The scriptures are meant to lead you. The word of God is meant to lead you to Jesus, the living word of God. Now, let me just kind of try to wrap this up for us. The word of God led me to Jesus who is the giver of life. Jesus used his word is using his word still in my life. He used his word to change my life, to change every part of my life, my goals, my ambitions, my wants and desires. He used to change my character, my relationships, my vocation, the way I see the world and understand reality. Jesus used his word to change all of that. 
He used his word to change what I look for in a wife and to teach me how to be a husband to her. He used his word to shape what I want for my children and to learn how to parent them well. He used his word to teach me how to live my life. He used his word to show me how I hope to die. He used his word to change everything, literally everything about me. Now go back to John 1 for a moment. What we're told in John 1 is that Jesus, the word of God, came into the world. He was God's great gift to the world and the world, many people in the world rejected him. They just did not recognize who he was. They did not take him seriously. They did not listen to him. They cut themselves off from God. Jesus uses the scriptures to to come into our lives. He makes himself known to us through his word. He indwells us through his word. It's through the scriptures that we come to know Jesus. If we're not people of the book, if we're not reading the scriptures carefully, slowly, attentively, actively, with obedience, with the desire to be, if we're not doing that, we, like the folks in the first century that Jesus is talking about, we are like folks who don't recognize Jesus. We won't have the means to recognize Jesus. We cut ourselves off from Jesus when we cut ourselves off from the scriptures. It's about that basic. None of us want to do that. I'm sure that none of us want to do that. I know that we have really, really busy lives. But we have to ask God to help us to create space in our lives and to prune away, to cut away every, anything that gets in the way of that, we have to allow him to create space in our lives so we come before Jesus in his word. Because his word is what Jesus uses to access to open us up to his life, to enable us to have access to his life in us and through us. We've gotta be people of the book who engage with scripture not casually, not lightly, not blithely, but intently with focus and concentration and passion and perseverance and joy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that light was light of all humankind. All of that becomes ours when we become people of Jesus' book. Amen. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you that you're God who reveals himself through his son and through the word and by your spirit. Lord, help us to be people who look for Jesus. Help us to be people who come to Jesus. Help us to be people who come to his word. We want to be people who know you and recognize you and follow you with everything that's in us. By your grace, Lord God, make that happen. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.